When I was a teenager, uh, the very first study Bible I ever owned was a Schofield reference Bible. Uh, C.I. Schofield was a remarkable man. He fought in the Civil War. He was a brilliant lawyer. He was appointed Attorney General of Kansas by President Ulysses S. Grant. But he had a serious problem. C.I. Schofield was an alcoholic. In fact, so overcome was he by his addiction that he felt he could not become a Christian. Uh, One day, a a Christian witnessed to him and said, are you a Christian? He said, no, I I couldn't become a Christian because of his alcoholism. And so this man shared with C.I. Schofield the free grace of God through salvation, through the shed blood and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for witnesses like that? And Schofield was wonderfully converted. But then he had another problem. As a new Christian, he thought that he was going to go back to his old habits. And he was terrified of that prospect. In fact, so fearful was he that as he would walk down the street, if there was a bar up in front... He would cross the street and walk to the other side, so fearful was he that he would go in to the bar and begin drinking once again. Then one day, in a store window, Schofield saw a very, very famous painting of Daniel and the lion's And as he stood and looked at that painting, he said, Only a few days had passed since I, a drunken lawyer, had been converted. He said, No one had told me yet about the keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I knew all about the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but I knew nothing about his keeping power. And look what he said. He said, as I stood before that picture, I said, these lions are all about me. My old habits and sins, they're all around me. But the God that shut the lions' mouths for Daniel can shut them for me. He had saved me and was able to deliver me from the lions. Oh, what a rest it was. I have a question for us this morning. Have we been told about the keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ? All of us know about his saving power through free grace. But have we come to understand his keeping power? You know, as we begin a a new year, we've brought lots of fears into this new year, haven't we? Some of us are concerned that old habits from the last year are going to be too much for us. Others wonder if this will be the year that our health declines or maybe fails us completely. For some of us, the financial concerns that we have, we wonder will those be resolved. 
And then for others of us, if we were fully honest, we would say, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to handle school, the things at work, or maybe the things that life has unexpectedly thrust upon us. Let me ask you, what's the answer to all those fears? The answer is what Schofield discovered. It is the keeping power of Jesus Christ. That the same God who shut the mouths of the lions and kept Daniel safe is the same God who can keep us safe in spite of all of our fears. And this morning, I want us to go to perhaps one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible that talks about the keeping power of God. This morning, we are going to look at a psalm for the new year. It is Psalm 121. And here, I've simply described this as the keeping power of God. Would you take your Bibles and open with me to that psalm? And let me begin by reading verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 121. And listen to what God says to us. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's bow together in prayer for a moment. Lord, all of us here today if we know Christ, believe in the saving power of God. But Lord, oftentimes we are not as clear on the keeping power of God. That whom Jesus saves, He is also able to keep. And He will do it not only now, but He will do it forevermore. Thank you that as we begin this new year with all of its uncertainties, all of its problems, all of its potential hazards, we have a God who can keep His own. Teach us this great and wonderful truth. For Jesus' sake, Amen. As we open this psalm, in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist, and we are not sure who he was, has a tremendous theme for our lives. The theme of this psalm articulated in verses 1 and 2 is this. The great, awesome creator 
is the personal helper of believers. Can you just take that in for just a moment this morning? This great and awesome creator that we believe in and read about in the pages of Scripture is the personal helper of every single believer. Now, when the psalmist here describes his help as coming from the Lord, help is a very, very interesting word. It is actually a military term. It is found about 80 times in the Old Testament, and it is generally used of military assistance. Now, all of us have seen enough old westerns, haven't we, to get the picture? Here are pilgrims traveling west, and uh, they are vulnerable and weak, and all of a sudden, they are suddenly ambushed and surrounded by enemy fire. When all looks lost, uh, suddenly, over the horizon, comes riding the U.S. cavalry to the rescue. And the pilgrims are saved and delivered from the imminent threat of disaster. Do you know that image that all of us have seen in movies is exactly the background of this psalm? This is known as a pilgrim psalm or a psalm of ascents. It was a psalm that as the people of God would travel to Jerusalem in its high pinnacle up high in the Judean wilderness, they would sing as they ascended to that place for worship. Now the roads that they would travel from all over Israel were oftentimes rocky, mountainous terrain. Uh, Here's an image for us of the famous Jericho Road. That if you came from the north, you had to traverse this road on the last leg of your journey. You can see the dangers, can you not? That lurked on this journey. If you stumbled and fell, it could be a serious, serious fall. As you traveled in the hot, arid Middle East, you could be exposed to sunstroke. At night in the mountainous air, you could freeze. Uh, There were wild animals hiding in the, the bushes and the rocks who could attack you. And as you can see, as Jesus talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Jewish man who was attacked on the Jericho Road by robbers, this was a famous haunt for robbers. Then can you imagine bringing your wife and kids on the journey? Remember on one occasion on a journey like this, they thought Jesus had gotten lost. Now that's the background here of this psalm. But I want you to notice something. As the psalmist describes uh, journeying towards Jerusalem and one of the worship festivals, as he reached the summit where Jerusalem was located in the high mountains of the Judean wilderness, a number of things would begin to happen. First of all, his eyes would look up and they would see Jerusalem situated in the secure mountains in the summit of the wilderness. You know what that was? 
That was great. That was great. But then he would look beyond the mountains. And he would see, as verse 2 describes it, heaven and earth. And that was greater. But then, looking up and seeing heaven and earth above the mountains, he would look even higher and he would see the Lord. And that was the greatest. Because that God that he believed in had said that his presence would be manifested in the holy city of Jerusalem, and he was the very same God who made all things. Do you know these two verses here give us one of the greatest descriptions of God as our helper? Look at them for just a moment. Look and notice that his help is unlimited. Because it says he's the God who made the heavens and the earth. And the God who made everything is a God who can do anything. Nothing is too hard for him. And then the psalmist says about this Lord that his help is close at hand. In verse 2, when he says he made heaven and earth, it's not the normal word for creation. Uh, This isn't the word at the beginning of the Bible where it says God created the heavens and the earth. This word made is a reference to God working with creation, fashioning and shaping it. It is not the God way out there who created all things, as Genesis 1-1 says, but it is the God right here who fashioned His creation. And what it means is God is imminent, He is nearby, He is close at hand. We never have to shout to get His attention. And then thirdly, This is a God who is personal and willing. When he says, my help comes from the Lord, that word from is a very interesting word in the Old Testament. It is a combination of the word from and with. And it tells us that God is not only the source of our help, it is from Him, but it also tells us that God is personal. He is a God who is with us. Thus, He is caring for us, and He is willing to help us. Now, can I just stop here for just a moment? Is not this whole image here a metaphor for the Christian life? Isn't this how the Christian life is to be lived? When we are beset by the problems of life, the difficulties, the struggles, the dangers, and the fears. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to lift our eyes up. Look up and see the greatness of the God who has said, I am your helper. Look up and see a God who is unlimited, who is close at hand, who is personal, and who is willing. This is a metaphor for how the Christian life is to be lived. The great and awesome Creator says for every believer, 
I am your personal helper. I want you to notice something very interesting as we continue in this psalm. There's a very interesting change. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist speaks in the first person. He says, I and my. But then in the remainder of the verses, 3 through 8, he changes to the second person, and it is you and your. And we have to ask ourselves this question, why this change? You know what he's doing? He's applying this great principle that he believes about God to us. He is saying, this is not just for me, the psalmist. This is for every single believer. So many times when we're studying Scripture, the preacher will develop applications that he thinks are appropriate to the text. But in this case, the psalmist does it for us. He takes the principle and he applies it to our personal lives. I thought this week if he were John Thompson, he would say to us, now let me give you some takeaways for your life this week. You see what we're learning here? The journey to Jerusalem is a metaphor for the journey of life. Life is a journey. And after these believing Israelites had left Jerusalem and gone back to their homes, they had to live in ordinary towns. They had to work ordinary jobs. They raised typical families. They dealt with typical neighbors. And the psalmist is teaching them, as God has revealed this truth to him, that life is a journey, and God promises to be our keeper each step of that journey. Six times in the remaining verses, verses 3 through 8, the word keep occurs. And they are the takeaways for how God helps his people. Let's go back to Daniel in the lion's den. The same God who was the keeper of Daniel. The same God who shut the mouths of the lions. The same God who when the king opened the lion's den the next morning and said, Oh Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel said, Yes he has, I am safe. He has kept the mouths of these lions shut. That is the same God who goes with us. Now let's look at these applications this morning, alright? Number one, God's keeping is constant. It takes place all the time. Look at verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, for the traveler, the foot to be moved referred to a serious fall resulting in calamity. But for the journey of life, what this means is God can make us sturdy, He can make us strong, and He can make us not shaken. And the reason that He can do this is because He is not like the false gods of the nations. Do you know in the Old Testament... 
the Canaanite gods to go to sleep. During seasons like the dry season, Baal would actually go off duty. You might remember when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a challenge. And you remember, he he gathered 400 prophets of Baal on, on one of the mountains in Israel, and he said, the true God should be able to send fire from heaven and burn up the sacrifice. So he said to the false prophets, you go first. And you remember what happened. As they called on their god Baal, whom they believed was the god of the rains and the god of the weather, nothing happened. And you remember what Elijah began to do? He began to mock them. Let me read for you what uh, Elijah said. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. By the way, do you think there's humor in the Bible? Or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And you remember what began to happen. They began to shout louder, didn't they? Oh, Baal! Oh, Baal! Bail us out, oh, Baal! And you remember what the Bible says. The Scripture says about this, no one answered, no one paid attention. Remember what Elijah did when it came his turn? The Bible says that he uttered a simple prayer. O Lord, same Lord that we read about in Psalm 121, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell. What a great encouragement this is. What this tells us is that the God that we love and believe in and follow His keeping for us is constant. It is all the time. May I say to you this morning, this has always encouraged me with my battle with temptation. One of my great fears as I enter 2017 is that in some way I may fail and give in to serious temptation. And the knowledge that God is always watching, always caring, always alert, has helped me in a number of ways when it comes to temptation. When I began as a young man to realize that God was always alert and always present, I knew, for example, that I could not hide from Him. I could hide from my parents. I could hide from my teachers. My Sunday school teachers and youth leaders could not always be with me. I could hide from my wife. 
But I could not hide from God. And if God was always alert, never slept, never was off duty, then He saw it all. And brothers and sisters, this fact... And this fact alone motivates us to be careful. The very fact that God is constantly keeping us and watching is a great motivation for us to be careful. But then I realized this. I realized that in the hour of temptation, we can remain sturdy and not slip because of God's sturdy help. God has given to us means whereby we can grow and become stronger and stronger in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And if we will avail ourselves of those means, what begins to happen is our spiritual life becomes stronger and stronger. As we learn the Word of God, we gain wisdom that helps us to see things in their true perspective. As we spend time in prayer, we develop an intimacy with God so that we are comfortable in His presence. As we are involved with real fellowship with the people of God, letting them know us and us knowing them, and engaging together and learning the wisdom of the Lord and being accountable to one another, then in the hour of temptation, we can draw on that strength because God is an ever-present help to keep us from slipping. Listen, if God can send fire from heaven, He can keep us sturdy in the midst of temptation. But then I learned something else. I learned that when I did fail, when I did sin, the God who said He would always be with me would not leave me, but He would forgive me. And through every failure, I could experience what David experienced when he failed He said in Psalm 51, as a result of my sin, God will now teach me wisdom in the innermost being. And so whatever aspect we look at it, keeping us from temptation, keeping us in temptation, teaching us and renewing us after we have failed from temptation, this knowledge of God's constant keeping is such a tremendous help. Notice secondly. Secondly, God's keeping is comprehensive. It deals with every threat. Every threat. In verse 5, he says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, to a traveler who was uh, exposed to the very difficult, arid rays of the sun, shade meant protection. The right hand in the Bible is always the hand of power. And the sun and the moon here, and day and night, is a well-known figure of speech where two opposites are used 
to include everything in between. So that this is a description of all the dangers of the day or all the dangers of the night. Every potential threat that might harm us is under God's control as our keeper. I appreciated so much uh, last year the testimony of Sandra Paul as she stood in this pulpit and shared about the Lord keeping her and her three daughters. If you were here that day, you remember, she said, when she lost her job and she didn't know where the money would come from, God provided until she got a new job. She said one day when she was out of work and wondering what's going to happen, a $600 check appeared in the mail from California. As she got the letter and opened it up, she didn't even know the lady who sent it. And inside was a note from the lady who said, I heard there was a need, so I decided to send a check. And God, in his great keeping of Sandra and her three daughters, provided from somebody she didn't even know. I read about a man who got a gift from somebody who he didn't know, but it met exactly the need. And you know what the man said in response to it? He said, I know who sent the gift, I just don't know who brought it. And isn't that true for every Christian? We may never know who brought it, Well, we always know who sent it, don't we? We always know who sent it. Now, thirdly, if this were not enough, notice that God's keeping is complete. It lasts forever. After using metaphors for most of this psalm, The psalmist now just comes right out and says it. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. By the way, isn't that where we struggle with this psalm? All evil here, it is comprehensive. It means every sort of harm that we could think of. Going in and coming out again is another figure of speech where two opposites are used to include everything in between. So as these travelers would head home and return to their towns, as they would get up in the morning and as they would come back in the evening, Everything that could befall them from going out to coming back in is included in the all evil. And when the psalmist says, the Lord will keep your life, it is a reference to safety from death. And isn't this where we struggle? Because what happens when death comes unexpectedly? Think about the lady in yesterday's paper. 
went with her husband to do some ice fishing. Had a heater in the ice shanty. The husband left. A few hours later, he came back. His wife was tragically asphyxiated in that ice shanty. Apparently an accident. If she was a Christian, what do you say about these verses then? Or if some injury happens and we are paralyzed, or a child dies by accident, isn't the last word of the psalm the key to that question? God will keep us from this time forth, and what's the last word? Forevermore. God is keeping us not just for this life, but for eternity. Psalm 121 is not promising us a rose garden. It is not saying if you become a Christian, God will keep you from all the problems that the non-Christian deals with. That's not what is going on here. What it is promising us is God has an eternal plan. And if misfortune should strike us, God has a purpose He is working out in this life that will culminate in the life to come. Do you remember uh, Joe Stoll, the president of Cornerstone University, telling about growing up in Bay City? And one day after school, he said he was chased by some bullies And they caught him, and they beat him up. Prior to that beating, he had a crooked tooth that affected his smile. But can you believe this? In the course of all those punches that he took, the crooked tooth straightened out. And Joel Stoll ended up looking better after the beating than he did before the beating. And you know what I thought? Sometimes God allows the beatings of life to straighten out our crooked spiritual smile, doesn't he? And when the beauty of the face of Jesus Christ shines more purely in our lives, people are drawn to Him. You see, God's keeping is complete. It lasts forever. And whatever God should permit in our lives now is a preparation for the full and safe keeping that is coming once and for all in the celestial city as we pilgrims are traveling to that place. 
And if this psalm ends and forevermore is not the last word, we all close our Bibles and we say it does not work. It is pie in the sky by and by. But it is forevermore. It is complete. Lasting. Forever. And that's how we can face 2017. Here are the takeaways. The great and awesome Creator has promised to be our personal helper. His keeping is constant. It is all the time. He doesn't sleep like Baal. It's comprehensive. Sun and moon, day and night, every single thread. And it is complete. When it is over, it will take us safely to our heavenly home. David said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What? Just before we gather around the table of the Lord, let's let this psalm drill deep into our hearts. Listen carefully while the piano plays. And the words and the images describe the God that you trust, who is faithful to keep his own. 